Today's episode of Jazzed is brought to you by Clint and Dusty's Lawn Care. C&D specializes in pest control, watering, fertilizer. Your lawn will never look the same after you go with C&D. And this winter, remember them for your snow removal and their innovative melting method. It's pretty remarkable. Clint and Dusty's, check them out. In today's episode, Jody Genesey, longtime Deseret News writer and longtime beat writer for the Jazz, joined me. Jody shares a, a bunch of really fun memories covering the team, how we started out in the business. We talk about the late, great Jerry Sloan. We discuss Rudy Gobert, that chip on his shoulder, how he's blossomed into an amazing All-NBA player. We share some fun stories from Jody's book about Paul Millsap, about John Lucas. We talk about Mark Eaton. This is just a fun episode chock full of a lot of jazz talk. Here we go. We are with the one and only Jody Genesey, DJ Jazzy Jody, the ambassador <laughs> of jazz fans to the world. He's with us on jazz, <laughs> kind enough to take a, a couple minutes to chat and just uh, talk jazz and being a beat writer of the jazz and covering the team for so long. Um, Jody, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. And Wow, that, I like that title, the, the ambassador. That's I always loved interacting with fans, and I, you know, I, I felt like that was, I was in a position where I could, kind of, you know, be among the fans, and then I had access, and so, some reporters, you know, they just kind of, <laughs> stay on, away from the fans and don't want to have that interaction, but I loved it. So, for those who don't know, which I'm sure are very few, um, Jody, uh, writer for the for the Deseret News for for years, um, was the beat writer. Um, for the D News, covering the Jazz, traveling day in day out. Um, what what years did you start as the beat writer? And give us like a little background on like your career at the D News, and and were you the beat writer right away? Um, kind of give us a little a little history. Crazy enough, I have been at the Deseret News for like twenty six and a half years now, so probably longer than most of the your listeners <laughs> have been alive. So I it's yeah, it's been a lifetime at the Deseret News and. I started out covering high school sports and just anything. I, I wanted to write about anything. I thought, heck, if I can get a job where I get paid to watch sports and eat food, uh, I got to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started out covering the Grizzlies and Weaver State and high school and just any, you know, three and three basketball tournament, amateur boxing. Occasionally they'd throw me a little bone and let me go to the jazz game here or there. Um, and over the years, you know, I, I got to do a little bit more jazz. I, was on the uh, the jazz coverage team when uh, they went to the finals for the second year uh, in 1998. So that was fun. Then I covered hockey during the Olympics, and I went to the city desk actually to be a news writer for a little while. And I <laughs> desperately tried to get back onto sports quickly. And so when I came back to sports uh, a year or two later, they threw me on the jazz team, and I was really excited about that. So that was. In 2008, when I started helping Tim Buckley, I replaced the great Linda Hamilton, uh, and she shortly thereafter retired. Uh, and I was kind of the uh, number two behind Tim Buckley there for a couple of years. And then uh, in 2010, I became the lead jazz beat writer and covered the jazz through 2017. And now I'm just kind of I, I help cover the University of Utah and do some other random things. So 
write some columns and stuff. So yeah, it, it's been a, it's a been an incredible career. Well, I, so our paths crossed, um, a, a bit there and we'll talk more about that, but I, I didn't realize you had been the D, the D news for so long. I didn't even know you were old enough to, <laughs> to like be there for 26 years. Like that's, that's well, awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I, I bathe in the oil, of Olay, so <laughs> apparently it's working. <laughs> so I, worked for the jazz um i started in 08 and i i actually left in right at the very end of 2017 so we crossed paths jody and i quite a bit and we were talking a little bit before we started recording you know covering the jazz and we're all you know whether you're at the you're writing for a newspaper or you're covering for a radio station or a tv outlet or a blog or whatever it is we're all doing something kind of different but exactly the, the same and we're all in the same you know, media room and the media scrum. And we're all, we're all kind of in this weird little fraternity for lack of a better, better phrase. And, um, yeah, you spend a lot of time around the same media members and the same people, um, more than, you know, you know, you know, Bill Lee, like Bill and I used to joke, like I see Bill and I was with Bill more than my <laughs> wife, like me and Bill were together, like, I don't know, 15 hours a day, like for years. And it was just, it's kind of a weird thing to think about when you think about it like that. Um, but yeah, we saw, you saw way more than I did as far as the jazz goes, but you know, those were some interesting eras, like from the late two thousands until 2017. That's, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff happened, um, during that time with the jazz. And you know, we're a lot of times, you know, you're the social media guys, like you were on with the jazz and the radio guys and the bloggers and the newspaper guys, TV guys and women, we're all just standing there waiting. Usually we're standing there waiting. We're sitting in the, the press room of the practice facility waiting for interviews. And that's when some, some fun chats go on and some teasing and, and then, you know, what? It, it would be interesting. There was one Salt Lake Tribune writer that uh, kind of wanted to do his own thing and didn't uh, really, you know, be- befriend me, but, after that, uh, I, I considered the Salt Lake Tribune writers, you know, I, we're competitors, but I considered them dear friends, Bill Orem and, and uh, Tony Jones. And, uh, you know, that they became, you know, your travel buddies and you, you're out on the road and, and you need somebody to go to, to hang out with and when you're not working and, and go to dinner with or whatnot. You're sitting next to each other during the game, so you're often bouncing ideas and whatnot off of each other so you know you still want to beat everybody else and get the best stories and get the scoops and but it makes life so much more enjoyable when you develop those friendships and and can you know have have fun and so yeah i considered you and bill and and uh you know the other uh social media members and media members uh really good friends like we have this common bond of kind of being behind the scenes and and uh it's yeah i'll always enjoy that that time together yeah well you, you mentioned traveling and that's one thing that you know a lot of us didn't do um local guys but you know you and you know tony or aaron falk you know when he was with the trib you're traveling you're at every game and it's kind of we had this like funny understanding it's internally at the jazz like no one ever worked road games, but me and Bill, but we're working them from our house. Like you're literally traveling and I, and I would go for special occasions, whether it was the draft or the playoffs or summer league and travel is really hard. 
and and it, it takes such a toll on on your body, your mind. Um, I chatted a little bit with Brad Rock when he was on uh, this pod about that, and man, like I. When, when you go out on the road and, and people think, oh my gosh, you got to go on the road. Like after one day of travel, you're like, I am ready to be done traveling. Like this is not, <laughs> this is not fun. And you know, there's always elements of games where it's like, this is exciting and it's fun. And it's the NBA. It's, it's, it's awesome. Of course. But like the travel aspect, like sucked, like, let's be honest. What is, what was it like from your perspective for years, you know, city to city, covering the jazz, you know, and you know, the players, whether it's a losing streak or a losing year, they don't want to answer the question. So maybe they're getting sick of you. Like what, what is this like, you know, for 10 years being at every game? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Falk. He's what, he was one of my favorite ex crib guys. And I was so happy when the, when the jazz hired him. So I would hate to, to leave him out. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it was, I I enjoy traveling uh, to some extent, but you know w- when you're not traveling, you think it looks really glamorous and and fun and exciting. And <laughs> once you start traveling, you're like, whoa, this is pretty <laughs> hectic. Is probably the the right. I mean, you really you're just in hotels, airports, car rental facilities, and arenas, and it's just different colors and and different shapes and sizes of those <laughs> different buildings and so uh, and, and let's not forget taxis or ubers either so i i can't complain in fact my first boss out of the salt lake community college larry curtis my friend still a dear friend uh he told me once he's like you know as a sports writer you can never complain about your job because nobody's going to believe you and they don't want to hear it that some guy that has to watch sports and get paid for it when somebody else is, you know, in the mine for eight hours a day, or sitting in a, in a cubicle for nine hours a day, they don't want to hear you complain about your job. But honestly, there are some, some legitimate just challenges and difficulties with uh, the traveling. It's just such a, a frantic style of travel because you're in, in one city and, and you know, I've never traveled with the team. And so I know you probably had a different experience when you did travel with the team but I was booking my own hotels, my own flights, all that stuff. And we weren't staying in the, the elite five-star hotels that the NBA teams do as beat writers. You know, often we'd stay in nice hotels, but not as nice. Or sometimes we'd stay in the suburbs and, and uh, try to save a little bit of money. And you're, you're staying not necessarily motel six, but you're, you're more in the, you know, the courtyards or the, the Fairfields. And, and so <laughs> it's, it's not quite as it's not living the life exactly. So you got some lumpy beds and some weird smelling soap that you're using in those <laughs> hotel rooms. And you know, a lot of early hours, you know, you're waking up at four o'clock cause you got a six o'clock flight for a back to back and you got to get to the, the airport and you want to get into the next city. Uh, one thing I learned early on is you want to get the earliest flight to the next city because something, something might happen and you might miss a flight or, you might, uh, you know, there might be a, an engineering problem or something like that. And so, uh, you want to give yourself plenty of time. And so you're often, you know, you get done with the game ends at nine thirty local time. By the time you're done writing your stories and get back to the hotel, it's 12 or one. And then you got to wake up at four or five to get to the airport in a, in a rush. 
that's uh, it's kind of crazy. I remember one time I stayed out by the airport in Philadelphia, and I slept through my alarm, and I woke up with like, I kid you not, ten minutes before my flight, uh, before they were supposed to close the doors, and I don't know how I made it, but it was it was this miracle that I made it onto my plane. But there there was another time in Philadelphia where I slept through. I don't know what it was about Philadelphia. <laughs> just that city wore me out. I guess I slept through my alarm, missed my flight completely, and luckily I had I was able to get another flight there. But that's always scary. Uh, so I I really enjoyed seeing all the cities, all the NBA cities around the I guess the continent from north of you know Toronto and and all across the U.S. That was really awesome. Uh, you don't have a lot of time to go through those cities, but sometimes you have a couple hours in the afternoon to go walk through and, and check out some sites. But it's it's kind of a quick visit, but, you know, maybe you get to go to a restaurant the night before the game. Uh, so that, I enjoyed that, uh, seeing those cities. Going to every single NBA arena was really a thrill. Uh, but it's, it's just crazy, you know. I, I had a family of four. Uh, kids and it was really hard on uh, on my marriage and sadly uh, that marriage since ended and I I can't blame it on on that job but it, that job didn't help so a lot of NBA writers a lot of sports writers end up getting divorced and and that lifestyle is certainly plays a factor. You mentioned going to every arena and every city um, as a writer. What w- what was your favorite? And I'm springing this on you, but what was your favorite city as far as how they treated the media, or what was your least favorite? You oh. know, because you go to some of these arenas and like either like the arena, like the media f- dining is the worst, or it's the best, or they give you welcome packages, or they don't even t- act like you exist. Like, what, what were the cities that were the best or the worst for like going as a media member? Overall, generally the two best were Toronto. I know the Jazz always did well, but I didn't. I didn't deal with the jazz PR as a visitor, so I, I can't really speak to them, but they're very well respected. Um, but the Toronto Raptors crew was just tremendous. They knew that I liked ketchup chips, so they would, <laughs> <laughs> they would give me a package of ketchup chips, and and they would they would get the U.S. writers uh, some some Canadian beer. And I don't drink beer, so I, you know, Aaron Falk or Bill Oren would love when I gave give them my Canadian beer. Uh, but they treated us really well. And Golden State uh, was Golden State's probably year in and year out the the best PR staff by far. They just bend over backwards. Raymond out there was just tremendous. And uh, there are some some places where, you know, uh, Miami's comes to mind is not, it's a great city. I love going to South Beach, but I don't know. The, it was more like the the arena that was super annoying. Like the they acted like you know the president was coming through, and I guess they had LeBron at the time, so maybe maybe that's why they were so uh, so crazy about security. But geez, they were tough. Um, food wise, uh, you know, it's funny because New Orleans has like the best food in the nation, probably, or, or is up there, and the cuisine scene there is insane i love it but for some reason the arena food there was awful oklahoma city's press room food was horrible 
Uh, Portland was really good. Uh, gosh, I could. Uh, let's see. New York had awful food, which was another funny one because you would think that this city that has so many options that the food there is awful. Yeah. Uh, Detroit. I, apparently, Detroit's better, but that was. Uh, I didn't really like Detroit. Was probably one of my least. Detroit and Houston were among my least favorite cities to go to. Detroit was so far away. Now it's not because they have the city downtown. And uh, but you know we had to travel about a mile or an hour uh, back in the old days. And yeah, that's. I always loved going to Sacramento. You know their arena was horrible. Their new arena is amazing. But I have family. My brother, older brother, lives in Sacramento, so it was nice to get a paid trip to go see my yeah. nieces and nephew and and sister in law and brother. So. Well, anyway. you know, it's funny, like you're talking about dining and maybe, maybe it's because I only went to like the large events, like all-star playoffs, or whatever, but it was always annoying to me when you would go into like the media dining area and it was like either like a pop-up area or like they would have like a hundred or whatever media members, but they would have like 25 seats to eat. So like you're <laughs> in like some back curtained area and it's like, what is it? Like, so you're kind of just like walking over each other and I always, I always was kind of annoyed, like by that scene that wasn't always that the best that that was one thing about the uh the Gianna's arena that was they actually have really good food and I, I think that they treat you well and everything but the setup there is they had the the writers would be sitting on the the wall with these you know long table desks and they would have the dining area just right behind you in the same yeah. area um and i can indiana was set up the same way a couple other cities are set up the same way. So the dining area and the press room were the same room. And that's really hard. Uh, writers, we get there for, at the game, like at five o'clock and we have pregame, uh, things that we need to write and prepare. And I'm sure you do as well, uh, for the social media side. And you're trying to concentrate on writing a notebook or listening and, and transcribing a, a story. And you have people like, two feet away from you and just yakking and having fun, <laughs> which, you know, you don't want to be a jerk and tell them to shut up, but you're like, I can't hear. So I was really happy when I saw the new setup. They actually gave us our own press room, which is at the Jazz Arena, which thumbs up to that. So there were some pretty uh, interesting setups where <laughs> I can, Cleveland was like you're in a broom closet almost, and they had just nowhere to sit hardly. So, yeah, it was not ideal. Yeah. So you were around for some awesome moments, you know, like you mentioned, you started covering the team, really the glory years or the end of the glory years and all the way through, you know, D will and booze and all the way really through, you know, Hayward and Rudy and drafting Donovan. And when, when you think about, and it doesn't have to be, you know, the shot or, or whatever, like when you think about like memories, like what comes right to your mind as far as like your favorite memories covering the team? Yeah, that's a that, that's a great question. As far as like games, I mentioned Miami a minute ago, and and you had mentioned this is the twenty fourth podcast. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. So you you said it's the Paul Millsap podcast. Yeah, <laughs> this is a good time um, if you want to go off on Paul. This 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 works. This fits. Well, sorry to steal your thunder there. <laughs> you know, I, I know you probably had a segment later, and we can go back to that. But my favorite game probably was the Miracle in Miami. I was there on front row in Miami and the jazz were down and all of a sudden it, you know, 
it just looked like it was over. And uh, Paul Millsap just took that game over and just scored all those threes late in the game and just went on a tear. And that was, you know, the Jazz ended up winning it. And that was just a tremendous, tremendous win. It was really fun because so unexpected. And the vibe in the press in the in the locker room afterwards was really fun. All the guys were calling Paul Miss Betty's son and just Ronnie Price and Darren Williams. Uh, just a really fun uh, atmosphere. And uh, yeah, that was that was probably my favorite game. To yeah, Jerry Sloan had some fun quotes, and <laughs> I asked him if uh, or he was asked. I can't remember who it was, but he was asked if Paul Millsap had the green light to shoot. And he's like, well, he does now. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a, a career highlight. The, the Sunday out of games, three pointer. There was quite a few, like for some reason, it's fun. Uh, you remember those games against, you know, Michael Jordan or uh, LeBron James, probably Kobe Bryant the most. And so the Sunday, Sunday out of games, uh, buzzer beater was awesome. Unfortunately, I had gone into the – it was the late game and we were on a tight deadline. And so I went into the press room to start writing my story really quickly. And then Sunday had to hit that. And so I wasn't actually in the arena when that happened. Uh, that's uh, a, a kind of a, a career regret of mine. But I was there when Gordon Hayward hit his three-pointer against uh, LeBron. Yeah. So that was fun. It's kind of too bad that we almost have to forget about the Hayward that Hayward shot because it was, it was pretty epic. I I almost feel bad when I bring up like when you bring up fun Hayward memories, people look at you or you know virtually look at you through Twitter like why are you talking about Hayward? And I'm like, hey, the dude's entire career was my entire career at the Jazz. Like that's that's all I had was Hayward moments. Well, yeah, and like yeah, we well we were there exactly the same time frame, so it seemed like Hayward was going to be this guy that was going to be there for the rest of his career, and he was going to be a you know. A, he just seemed like a perfect fit with the jazz and, and he did have some moments. And so like he, he played really well against Kobe one time. And I remember Kobe saying that he, you know, as a rookie that in LA, I remember Kobe saying that he reminded him of a, a more athletic Jeff Hornacek. And so got some high praise from Kobe and yeah, that was the, the whole Hayward thing was disappointing. But like one of my, my favorite interviews I've ever done was, his dad, the other Gordon Hayward, uh, drove me around Indianapolis and took me out to the Brownsburg and to the high school and to their house and showed me all those places that, you know, where Gordon grew up and learned how to play basketball and, and taught me about the van talk that they used to have when his dad would get, would kind of give him a, a critique after every single game he played of all sports from the time he was a little boy playing baseball, uh, he would take the time after they, you know, they had to drive for 30 minutes or an hour to get to the home from the game. And, and his dad would go over what he did right, what he did wrong, what he might do the next time and just kind of coach him and, and give him some feedback. And so that started from a very early age. And he continued that during his NBA career. He would, uh, the elder Gordon Hayward would stay up late at night and text just write down throughout the game, kind of a running commentary. You did this. You might think to do that. He wouldn't try to overcoach, uh, you know, coach him to do things that Corbin want, wouldn't want to do, but he would give him options. Hey, you took the shot there. It might've been better to pass stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, you need to have more confidence in this area. And that was, that was actually a really cool interview. And yeah. that, some of the, some of the favorite memories were away from the, the action. I mean, that's, that's the fun part is the game. But one time John Lucas, the third met my little kids at uh, a Thanksgiving practice. And it's funny because John Lucas and Brandon Rush were probably two of the guys on that particular team who took more grief from fans and were kind of lightning rods uh, for various reasons. I brought my kids, my three kids at the time, to uh, practice just to come with Dad on Thanksgiving Day. It was in the morning. And those two were the only two guys that came over and uh, shook my kids were sitting on the stands at the practice facility and they came over and shook my kids hands. And I thought that was really so cool. And John Lucas started asking my, my kids, Hey, so it's Thanksgiving. Do you guys like pie? And they're like, yeah, of course. And what he asked their favorite kinds. And then he, had, he said that his favorite kind was pumpkin cheesecake and found out that none of them had, you know, they had been uh, neglected their whole lives and their mean dad had never given them pumpkin cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next day of a shoot around, the Jazz played the next day on Black Friday. Uh, John Lucas uh, tracked me down, and he had brought each of my kids like huge pieces of uh, a pumpkin cheesecake that he had gotten from the cheesecake factory. Wow! He wanted them to try it. Yeah, I thought I thought that was so cool. It was funny because he had it in a you know the white to go container, yeah, and he had taped it up with with like athletic tape (laughs) (laughs) the uh it was pretty funny but that was that was one of my favorite stories of my my whole career was that cheesecake story because it just kind of shows the human element of of an nba player just showing some you know some just being really cool with kids Uh, i really appreciated that as a father no, totally. I'm glad you mentioned John Lucas. I, I do think, be, mostly because the season he was kind of our guy, we it was one of the, our worst seasons ever. And But he was such a fun character. And I think exactly what you just talked about. Like, he, he, he was a normal guy, but he was just so jovial for two years, um, two, right before preseason started. Like, they would take the team to, like, a local mall. I don't know if you remember seeing any of this oh and, yes and the whole idea was like oh let's just show up and like let's see if there's like this crazy rush of like fans or like let's try to cause a moment so like but the idea was like it was a good idea but we kind of went on like a tuesday at like one in the afternoon to like fashion place mall and there was like no one there except for you know your random moms or whatever and the reason i bring this up is i have one of my favorite stories it was rudy's rookie he was he was about to speak start his rookie year and he was with Ian Clark who was also going to start his rookie year and they were walking through the mall and they saw like one of these pop-up like nail salons or whatever right in the center of the mall <laughs> and he, John Lucas walks over to the you know nice lady running the thing and she he says do you guys do men do y'all do men's nails and she's like oh yeah of course and he's like Rudy and Ian come over here because he's trying to you know rook their rookies and he basically made them get their nails done in like pink and purple glitter or whatever and it was just, you know, and this is before Rudy was Rudy. He was probably just happy to be on a team and be on the NBA, in the NBA. And he just went along with it, and everyone's just laughing and having a good time. And I just, it wasn't like a mean hazing thing. It was just, I'm going to make you guys do this because I think it's funny. And his personality just, like, showed. And John Lucas was just so fun um, with the guys. And 
yeah, it was unfortunate that it was such a horrible year, a down year for the Jazz, you know, record-wise. But um, he he was a good guy. I, I liked being around him. Yeah, that was. I actually I saw that video. You know, Jazz fans can go look at. I, I know that video is on on YouTube because as I was uh, preparing and researching for my book that I wrote, that was one of the things, the videos that I watched and it was a really fun video. And I, I included that in my, in my book. So that was as part of the rookie traditions. So I love that it. Was, that was great. So thank you for uh, helping. <laughs> I, I guess I should have given you a, a co byline. Oh yeah. Well, that's a good, I'm glad you mentioned your book. I wanted to talk about it. Uh, so many of what we're, of the stories or just kind of memories and obviously way more is Jody wrote a book. Um, the hundred things all jazz fans and sorry if I am not getting the title, but the hundred things all jazz fans need to know and do before they die. Is that, is that right? Um, but That's it's close, close enough. <laughs> um, but I was, I was actually scrolling through it cause I have one and um, it's such a fun book. And one of my favorite um, chapters is the Sloanisms. I think it's i'm looking at it right now chapter 78 and it's just you mentioned one uh, earlier yeah. about the green light and coach sloan and i want to i want to get your thoughts on coach sloan in just a sec but like um so classic and one of my favorites um i'll just read a couple you say on michael jordan coach sloan says in my prime i could have handled michael jordan of course he would have only been 12 <laughs> 12 years old um <laughs> <laughs> uh, his relationship with Carl Malone, 18 years, even in a marriage, that's a long time. Um, <laughs> I'm looking for a make a making guard, not a shooting guard. Just just so many classic, just classic Sloanisms and and so many fun stories. Oh, yeah. um, I love the chapter on like Carl Malone's enemies, and it's just like for any jazz, like it's almost like if you're a jazz fan, you have to have this book, and it, it's just so fun. It was really fun. Yeah, tell me a little bit more, just kind of like the idea. Um, obviously it's been out now for, I think nearly two years, but what, what kind of spurred you along, um, to do the book? Yeah. So, uh, Triumph Books has a series of 100 things, such and such pro team or such and such college program that their fans should know and do before they die. So I didn't, I didn't come up with the concept, but, uh, at the end of the 2017 season, it, I was ready to get off the jazz. Be honest, I was worn out. I was, it, it had just like, just taken a toll on my life and my family. And so I'm, I was, it was just time for me to be done and to move on to something else. And, um, I'd enjoyed it tremendously, but was kind of ready to, for a new, less hectic lifestyle. And right then, uh, right as we were deciding that I would get off the beat, uh, this publisher reached out to me. And at first I'm like, Oh, I know how much work that's going to be. I don't know if I want to do it right now because I'm so, I just want to rest. I just want to not write anything. And so my, my wife at the time said, look, if you don't take this, you're going to regret it. And so I just sat down and as a writer, you don't get publishers reaching out and asking you to write a book ever. So that was really a unique, unique opportunity. And I remember sitting down on my bed on a Saturday morning and I started uh, thinking about jazz memories from my own personal life. I, you know, I, I grew up in Salt Lake and out in Kearns. And uh, I remember when the jazz came to town and I was a huge fan growing up. And, and so I thought back to the, that era and then 
I had the unique perspective of some a jazz fan who then became a jazz writer and got that behind the scene look and had some experiences with Stockton and Sloan and Malone. I got to cover all their Hall of Fame uh, enshrinements and did a lot of work on that and got to know Jeff Hornacek and Andre Karolinko. You know, so I just, you know, throughout the whole jazz history, I had been invested, invested into this one way or the other, either as a fan or as a writer. And I thought, gosh, I'm kind of in a, a terrific position to, to kind of give a unique spin on this, this book. And so I decided to do it. And as I started writing down different chapter ideas, we had to come up with a hundred chapters. I'm like, at first I'm like, how am I going to come up with a hundred chapters? And then it was like, how am I going to only have a hundred chapters? Cause you start thinking of all the stories and, and a lot of stories are, are well-known stories, but some of the stories are behind the scenes things that you'd be, that would be fun to, to include in a book that people might not know. And so, yeah, that's, that was kind of the premise of that. There was a, a Utah and a BYU version of this, this book that were, were done previously. And so I was, they figured it was time for the jazz uh, book to come out. And then, so I started writing it and it was funny because, uh, the jazz weren't very good uh, the first half of the season when they wanted the, the book to come out. It was Donovan Mitchell's rookie season. And so they said, well, let's, let's push this, the release date back a year. And as a writer who had just busted his butt to get 90% of the book written by a, a really difficult deadline, I was kind of disheartened. And then at that time, I don't know if you remember the 2017-18 season, the second half, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell just started clicking and the jazz took off and they finished that season strong and kind of got rocking and rolling. And, and it's been, uh, you know, the jazz have been doing really well since then. And so then we compromised and decided to have it come, come out six months later instead of uh, a year later. So, but that was a really interesting, you know, a walk through a stroll through jazz memory lane. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I, I read a lot of old stories written by uh, great writers from the Tribune, the Deseret News, uh, New York Times, USA Today, the Ogden Paper, uh, just from every anywhere and everywhere I could get uh, information about the jazz and stories, and I included a lot of quotes from the time period. Sometimes when you, you want to get your own material, you want to... Uh, interview guys but sometimes like their memories fade and stories change <laughs> so i tried to be true to what happened at the time and got a lot of color uh, a lot of good anecdotes from the time uh when they happened and i just actually pulled out one the other day carl malone uh frank Layden, after carl malone had been drafted uh he came out to utah and just in time for the Pioneer Day Parade, well, the 24th of July is Carl Malone's birthday as well. And so the Jazz had a float in the parade that year. And <laughs> Frank Layton told Carl that they were throwing the parade for his birthday and for him. <laughs> and Carl, I guess, believed it. And so it was pretty funny. And it wasn't until the end of the parade where Frank finally admitted to him that that was not <laughs> actually for him. But Carl's like, hey, if they, if it would have been the cell phone days, he would have been taking selfies and sending his family photos and stuff. And, Look, they're throwing a parade for me. That's awesome. Uh, unfortunately, the Jazz never ended up being able to throw a parade for for Carl and, and John, but uh, 
boy, they had some some really fun memories and some great times. So it was an honor to write that book. It was almost like my last chapter, so to speak, of my jazz career, that decade that I had spent. And, and I wanted to write it as well as a kind of a gift to my kids saying, hey, look, I know I was kind of a crappy dad at times because I was so I was always gone and, and so busy with the jazz, but here's kind of why. And, and my kids take great pride in it too. It's fun. Occasionally they'll pick up the book still and, and start reading it. Yeah. It's, I'm pretty proud of it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know that it was available in Costco's. I don't know if it still is, but the best place to get it, in my opinion, is probably just go to Amazon. You can get a, um, a Kindle version, you can get a hard copy. It's it's just a fun thing to look at. You know, the chapters are just, there's a hundred of them. So, you know, Jody had to get um, get some fun stuff in there. And it's it's just such an easy, casual read. And for any jazz fan, um, I highly recommend picking it up um, if you haven't already. Oh, well, thank you. Check it out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, you could, it's not, it's not necessarily linear. You know, you can just pick up any chapter and just read a chapter. And that was the idea is just, some quick fun reads and so i did like a chapter on john i called it you know the short shorts so that was fun uh john stockton shorts uh chapter um which included Shaq trying to fit into john stockton shorts and and getting fined and <laughs> and all sorts of different different uh fun stories uh one of my favorite uh, chapters was called the city of utah where it turns out like all these different people called the call it the city of Utah, including Carl Malone and uh, Dirk Nowitzki famously uh, did that as well. And so that was a fun chapter. I enjoyed. Uh, yeah. I, I was able to write little features on Quinn Snyder and Rudy Gobert and uh, jazz bear and just, you know, just kind of reviewed the 97, 98 uh, runs to the playoffs and, and fun times against, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and just kind of got a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of talked about coach Sloan and we could probably spend, you could spend like hours telling me stories and and whatnot. Um, Oh yeah. Just give me, I know we're, you know, we're a little bit of time removed a couple months now, but um, I think as jazz fans, well first, like he, he's kind of like my last episode actually was with uh, Kathy, his daughter, she was nice enough to chat and just talk about her dad. And I told her, you know, in, in so many ways, I think Coach Sloan is the jazz. And he still is the jazz. Um, his identity, his mindset, his toughness. And um, someone who grew up in Utah, you know, you like, he's like your hero. And obviously, you know, we all knew his health was deteriorating. So, it, you know, it wasn't a shock, but it was still a shock. And it was still really difficult. Um but you, you know that he's in a better place now. But um, being around him for for the time that you were around him, like just give me some quick Coach Sloan just thoughts. Right. I mean, I grew up, you know, like I said, I grew up a jazz fan, and so I had that perspective of just tremendous respect for for Jerry as the coach and and just what he did and. and the, utilizing John Stockton and Carl Malone and, and putting the jazz on that path. Yeah, this is a player's league, but it also takes a, a, a good coach as well. And so, but I was a little in- intimidated, honestly, coming in because he's, he can be a, an intimidating 
figure to interview because he he does have those you know the the folksy one-liners but he's also a pretty competitive and fiery person and so but it, it was probably misplaced just you know not just being new on the beat and whatnot but i i unfortunately only had about six months with jerry sloan as when i was the main beat writer and so that was way too short but uh i had a couple of interesting moments with him where i kind of incurred the wrath of jerry sloan (laughs) one time uh before the season started i asked uh they they were considering you know just some different lineups and, and different uh mixes of players and and combinations and i asked him if he was considering toying with his lineup and he looked at me really sternly and just snapped at me and said i don't toy around with anything <laughs> i'm like that's, he, he did not like the word toy and so i'm like uh tinker and no i didn't say that <laughs> i just kind of melted as everybody else is staring at me and he didn't like a question I had about Carlos Boozer, Carlos Boozer's defense one time, and and uh, he got he he kind of looked at me and glared and said, you "Ever had a bad day? <laughs> Are you always perfect? Have you ever had a bad day?" I'm like I'm starting to have one right now. <laughs> no, but for the most part, he was just really a pleasure to to speak with and interview and. He and uh, Phil Johnson uh, often asked me how I was doing and wanted to make sure, you know, a new guy on the beat that that it wasn't tearing me up too badly. So uh, he was he was just a down to earth guy. He and those coaches would eat in the the media room before the game, which was almost unheard of for an NBA coach or player to do that. Uh, you know, so it was just interesting to to be there and, and see him up close and personal. Probably my favorite story of Sloan happened right before he quit, actually. Um, it was the weekend before, and we were in Sacramento, and we, we were doing the shoot-around, and Jerry was talking about uh, defending the pick-and-roll. And he was kind of demonstrating. Was, I was standing to his left had my recorder out and he was showing that you want to like make yourself wide as you're trying to, to, to go along with the, with the offensive player. And he threw his left arm out and his huge hand smacked my arm and my recorder just went flying and hit the court and it just went in a bunch of different pieces. And, and he looked over there and he said, if I broke that effing thing, I'll buy you a new one. And then he just kept on explaining how to, <laughs> how to defend the pick and roll. And so that night it was kind of funny. I actually, the recorder worked fine. And that night I, I came back and he teased me about making sure that I gave him uh, enough room. And I just said, Hey, look, I'm just glad you weren't demonstrating how to, how to take a charge. <laughs> I might've been really hurting. So that, that was kind of a fun little exchange. And then, uh, yeah, the, the next couple days were just so wild and, uh, I was glad that he came back after a while. I know it was really difficult for him, and but I, I thought that was really neat that he kind of swallowed his pride and, and started coming to all the Jazz games. And him and Tammy were just – I fortunately, I, at that time, I was losing a bunch of weight, and they were just so happy for me and and 
Jerry would take his time to, to tell me how great he thought I was looking and doing and was excited for me. And yeah, I thought that was really nice. And that, I need to get back to that, that point, but he was just a, a good down to earth guy. So yeah, I enjoyed covering him. I wish I would have had more time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, couldn't have said it better. Just, um, a great, great guy, great coach. And I think, I told Kathy, you know, just we're, I think as jazz fans, we were lucky that we had him as our coach um, because he, he's the jazz and he's always going to be the jazz to me. So yeah, definitely going to miss, miss coach. Um, yeah. I love, I love that the, the way they honored him by putting up, you know, the twelve twenty three that the number of victories that he had during the playoffs and the regular season, and his quote about that was pretty funny too. He's like, "Oh, I thought that's how many technicals I had." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so classic. So he, yeah, he he didn't really have a filter, which you kind of respect. Right. He just said how it was, but but he was really loyal, and he was like, I gave a couple examples where he could be gruff to me, but he was also really accommodating and would would give you know in depth answers and was was more often than not uh, super kind and, and accommodating. So I don't want to, you know, put him in a bad picture. Yeah. No, I don't think you did at all. Um, switching gears, I, I want to talk a bit about the NBA restart. It's happening. It's starting in two days. Um, just as a fan of the NBA, also as a media member, um, I know you're not in the bubble. Um, first, I want to know what, what – what would that be like for you to cover the team either from home, not in the bubble or from actually in Orlando, if you were quarantined there for months, like what is that like? Can you give us a little light as a media member? Um, I'm not sure how many media members are actually in the bubble. I don't know if it's a lot of just mostly national or, or whatnot, but give us your thoughts on, on that situation. Yeah, it's so unique. It's, I've kind of, I mean, nothing to that extreme, uh, those extreme circumstances, but it, it felt like the Las Vegas situation was, well, there were fans there, but that felt like you were there for an extended amount of time. You're there for, for the summer league. You're there for a week and a half. And just based on that, um, it's tough to be earlier. I can kind of complain that the, the hectic lifestyle of going in and out of cities too much, but conversely it can be, draining and and wear on you to be in the same city for a long time and so and maybe las vegas in july is not a great well orlando in july is is kind of similar it's it's hot it's uh i was watching the mls game last night and that referee was just it was being played in in orlando and he was just drenched because it's so humid there um i've been to orlando they used to have the the pro summer league there and the Jazz uh, would go there after there for a few years when the Rocky Mountain Review wasn't being played, and that kind of reminds me of what the bubble might be like because the game was held in a small. It was in their practice facility, the Magic's practice facility, and there were only a couple rows behind the, uh, you know, where the announcers were, and there might have been a, a bleacher, but it was only like two or three rows high. And so it was just a really intimate setting. So you could be a couple of seats away from Greg Popovich or Pat Riley or Jerry Sloan or just, you know, whichever NBA executive. And that's all it was. It was some press 
press people, the players, the coaches, and executives, front office types. So it was there were no fans at the Orlando games. So that was kind of what it's going to be like in, in the bubble. And it was really kind of interesting. You missed it was you missed the the flavor and the and the the feel of the environment of the of the fans and that atmosphere. But at the same time, you got to hear a lot. You, whatever they said on the court, you heard. Whatever play was being called out, you knew what it was. Not that any of us reporters knew what that meant, but <laughs> um, I, I know that there are a couple of reporters there. I know Sarah uh, for the Deseret News just went down there and she just arrived in Orlando today. So that'll be interesting to hear what it's like from, from her perspective. Uh, but I, I know as, as cost cutting measures started going through newspapers, that was one of the things that, uh, editors started thinking is, well, maybe, you know, we can, you can write about the story just watching the game on TV. And that's true. You can write about the, you know, what happened. And, but what makes me valuable as a reporter is not just necessarily describing what action is going on that you can clearly see by watching the same game. It's having the access to get the real story, the the angles behind the scenes and what's going on and, and get some of that personal flavor and feel in the locker room. And I think that's what we're going to miss, uh, even if they do allow some reporters on the scene. Uh, most of the, the interviews will either be in a group setting, really sani- sanitary, you know, like di- keep your distance, or it will be in Zoom interview sessions. And you're not going to get that up close and personal behind the scenes locker room look. Uh, you're not going to be able to to pull one guy aside and and find out some interesting stories. So I think that is something that the NBA coverage is going to be missing. But it's kind of a give and take. I'd rather have the NBA, you know, try this than than not do yeah. anything. So well, along those same uh, lines, I mean, I. I don't know. Do you think that media is ever going to be in the uh, team locker room again? Like, uh, cause we don't really know say next season or whatever. Like, are they going to allow fans? Like it seems like there's going to be measures, um, where every media interview is just going to be at some kind of like a press conference style. Like what, do, what do you think? Like, are, are you, are you, would you be able to go into a, a, an NBA locker room again? Do you feel like, or any, I guess any sport really? Yeah. I know that the, <laughs> I love the public relations. I have a good relationship with Jazz PR and other PR teams. But they certainly, they would love it if we weren't in the locker room. <laughs> and there are some awkward moments in the locker room or whatnot. But I wouldn't, you know, Adam Silver before all this said that they weren't going to use this. Just as it started back in March, they weren't going to use this to try to push uh, any agenda as, as far as that goes. But I don't know until the pandemic is completely eradicated or, you know, there's uh, vaccines or, you know, for sure cures for it. I could see how they could use, use that as justification to, to really protect their players. So I don't know if we ever will. I hope we do, but I could see a scenario where we don't. Right. And I think it is like, I think you said it kind of the right way. Like, that maybe that would be something that is perhaps on the docket, but they don't 
there's no way they can push it forward until something like this. Well, it's just keeping players safe, keeping staff safe. You know, we're just going to not do that. And we'll just, just like a practice, we're going to say, here's your four guys. And, and, you know, from my perspective, working there, um, sometimes that was a bummer because you want to hear from someone. And if there was ever someone who had, obviously, you know, Donovan's going to score 50, you're going to talk to him. But, you know, sometimes you want someone else or you want a different story. And from just a social media guy, like, you know, I never really cared. I was just like, okay, whoever you guys, whoever Jody wants, whoever Aaron wants, whoever Tony <laughs> wants, that's, that, they're the ones who write in the stories. But I feel like that that's going to, if it does get to that, I think that's kind of a bummer. And I think I talked to Brad. Yeah. Me and Brad rock talked a little bit about that because you know, when not even that long ago, six, seven years ago, you know, you could go to practice and just walk up to any guy you want and you know, things, things change and they have changed. And, um, I think as, as a working writer, um, trying to, you know, come up with stories every day or every week, that's gotta be a huge a huge challenge. Yeah. Like, and we talked about Paul Millsap earlier and maybe I'll give you another Paul Millsap story to, to show how this is, it's important for reporters to be able to get some one-on-one time. And that's what I liked. I love the way the jazz did it before you would go before practice. The guys would be out there from what was it? 830 to nine or nine thirty nine thirty to 10, I guess it was. And they would just be shooting, and you could just approach the guy, and Darren yeah. Williams would sit on the, the the training table, and we'd all gather around him, and he would talk every single day, which I appreciated. I can I can see how that's a lot, but now they yeah they only bring the guys around every couple of days or you know, or so often. I, I hope that they would give a little bit more one on one even if it has to be done by zoom or phone calls interviews mm. uh, and really been over backwards to, especially for the media that spends a lot of money covering the teams and, uh, and a lot of resources covering the teams. So one time I wanted to do a story on, there were several different jazz brothers uh, or jazz players who had brothers playing college, DJ miles, um, Carlos Boozer, Kyle Corver, and Paul Millsap all had brothers that were in college. And so I thought that would make kind of a fun story. And <laughs> I got a phone call with, with Paul's brother, Elijah, and he told a story about Paul. When they were a kid, they would go to this lady's house and they called her the candy lady. And in their small little Louisiana town. And one time they were, they'd gone to the candy lady's house and then they were walking home and all of a sudden the dog started running after them <laughs> and Paul was the, was in the rear and the other brothers apparently ran faster and the dog jumped up and, and bit Paul in the tush. <laughs> and so I guess it would, they laughed because Paul turned around and the dog was attached to his butt. <laughs> but the, the fun part about the story is they teased Paul cause they said that it was, they claimed that it was a three legged dog. And so it's one of those things where <laughs> I approached Paul and I said, Hey, I talked to your brother and he said, you got bit by a three legged dog. <laughs> and Paul just <laughs> couldn't believe that I had that information, but it was one of those unique stories that I had done the groundwork for. So, you know, it, it was appropriate that I had that, that scoop or whatever it was. And otherwise it would have been, you know, everybody would have had that same story. And so the, I ended up doing the feature. I actually ended up using that as part of my book because uh, it was just such a unique, fun story. 
Paul to the day claims it wasn't a four-legged dog. His brothers all claim it was a three-legged dog. So I'm sure that debate will will continue in the Millsap clan forever. But that was that was kind of fun. So I remember the old Facinco, Kirill Facinco came over and was was listening and and was chiming in on the uh, the the story too or the interview as well. So that was that was a fun story. Yeah. Well, how do you think? Obviously, the Jazz and the fans got a blow when Boyan, you know, had surgery and is out. So it kind of like tempers our expectations a little bit. But what are your thoughts on the team and how they might fare down there? And obviously, we don't know the matchups yet. Um, you know, right now, obviously, they would be slated against OKC, which I like as a matchup for the Jazz to win. Um, I think none of us want Houston to match up with us. I think that's just, it's just a horrible matchup for the jazz, obviously, but how do you feel like the team's going to do what's kind of like the best, best case scenario for the jazz down there? Yeah, I could see the jazz being a, a second round team. Uh, yeah. that And it is disappointing because Boyan had, had just become such a, a really valuable weapon and could just nail it from outside. And so I, the other last night you saw that, they used several guys shooting trees, Jordan Clarkson and Ingles and Mitchell. And, and so that, you know, they might have to pick up the pace of shooting from outside. Um, and Quinn has said they're going to do more catch and shoot three point shooting. So that'll be interesting. Uh, I, I think one of the keys will be Mike Conley because he, when he plays well, the jazz are, are really tough, but when he is either mediocre or, or not playing well, the jazz kind of struggle. And so, if he can play well and just remember, hey, I'm the horse champion of the world and I'm going to play like it. <laughs> I think that would really help. Uh, eventually, they're going to have to get over the Rockets. I mean, I know that that's not a great matchup, but that's, you know, championship teams. As we watched the last dance with Michael Jordan, he eventually had to get over the Pistons. And so, yeah, we probably do want to avoid the Rockets. Uh, Jazz do. and But uh, you know, they might have to face them and, and that might not be such a bad thing just to, to really try to finally get over them. But I don't know if they have the manpower, Chris Paul and James Harden are just so tough. And then you have the, I still think the Clippers and the Lakers are the cream of the West. And I know that Lou Williams situation is a little bit it's kind of weird. funky and yeah, yeah, he's going to be held out for a while for, getting some chicken wings <laughs> quote unquote all right um but uh yeah I, I i don't see anybody but the lakers getting out of the west honestly i just i think lebron is going to be on a mission and mm-hmm. i think that uh, they're going to be really tough to beat well we could get a jazz lakers i, I agree like let's say it, it matches up with the with, let's say we match up with okc and i think we do beat them i think the jazz are clearly better than okc even without Bowian. and then we would most likely be getting the lakers and i think it was shaping up to, to be that way even before the pandemic and i thought even though we'd get all those annoying laker fans in the arena like that that would have been really fun um to have that would have been. To, have, to, to have here you know several games here even though i don't think jazz fans really believe we would win without Bojan, but it would still have and it still would be really fun but i think you're right i think lebron i think it just i've been telling people i feel like it's destiny he's going to win this year because 
it's just another way for, and I'm a, I'm a believer that MJ is the best. Like it's probably just my era. That's how I am. Six and zero in the finals, all that stuff. I'm, but, I'm there with you. But it just seems like there's got to be another little, you know, bit in the LeBron case. Well, he, yeah, he won that his fourth title. That doesn't that doesn't count. Like it just seems like that just destined to be in the argument that for some reason, this isn't going to count even though he got it. Like I don't know. I just think. I, it just seems like that's going to happen. And I don't see anyone in the East that's going to beat them. You're probably right. The Clippers are probably going to be their biggest threat. Um, but, yeah, I just think the Lakers, if they hold up, if no one gets sick, no one gets hurt, I just I just see them being the team who comes out on top. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. I, the Bucks are a fun story. I, You know, as an NBA fan, I wouldn't mind if they beat the Lakers. In fact, I would love that. I think it would be wonderful. Giannis has just turned into such a beast and such a – versatile player you know and so you have one incredibly versatile player in, in lebron and then a younger version who's maybe even a little bit more versatile in Giannis, and so that would be an interesting matchup so that's yeah it, it, it's too bad because that that does you know it the playoffs is where it's going to be really a bummer to, to be watching them in these sanitized sterile stadiums where I guess they're trying to get some some fans and on TV screens and stuff and whatnot, but that just won't be the same. Yeah, it will be weird. It'll be weird when it's a one point game with three seconds and there's no fans yelling, you know, at the inbounder or whatever it is. Like it, it just it, that atmosphere of like uh, the crunch time atmosphere. Uh, that's going to be where it's really weird. Yeah, and that's something that you know the Jazz traditionally have have used their fans as kind of the sixth man and it's been an advantage and so that not that they won every single game but it certainly they won more often than not at home and so that's a bummer yeah well speaking of guys with shit like just destiny i feel like rudy is they've only they've had their three exhibition games right now and that dude he he just thrives when he has a chip on his shoulder, and I think the chip is never – it's always there. But I think right now – and it's so unfair that he – his image, his name is just kind of tarnished just amongst fans. Not not jazz fans at all, but just nationally because he was the first guy to test. And I think it just bugs every jazz fan um, so much. But I think, I think he's taking that slight – and he's, I think he's going to be a monster and he already kind of looks like it. Like, he, I, I don't know, Rudy, I think Rudy's going to be a man on on a mission during the playoffs. Yeah. My son, my 15 year old son texted me last night and he's like, dad, Rudy's led the jazz and statistics, every statistical category almost during the, this, these scrimmages. So he's excited about that. I felt horrible for Rudy. What he did, he, it was clearly a joke where he pretended to like touch all the microphones. He only, I think he only ended up actually touching one. The other ones, if you look, he, anyway, regardless, I thought he was treated really poorly. Now, if a player comes out and say, says, Hey, I have, or I've had coronavirus, I had the virus. It's no big deal. Yeah. But he was painted as like this public enemy. Number one. I know he had, I don't know. It was just, it was, and honestly, I mean, I love Donovan Mitchell and I think he's a tremendous player in person. I didn't think he handled the Rudy thing. Well, I, I wasn't in his shoes. So I, I guess, you know, he was worried about his own health and his family members health. So I can maybe, you know, cut him some slack, but 
overall, yeah, Rudy was just treated so poorly. And like you said, he he'll take anything. He'll it's almost like an MJ, you know, like or even a LeBron. Just that's what the greats do. They will take anything and use it as motivation. One time, Rudy, I I wrote a tweet that said. I think Ennis Cantor has a better opportunity to be a good defensive player than Rudy does to be a good offensive player. I tweeted that out like his rookie year or something, and Rudy favorited that tweet. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't brought it up. He, he probably has that, it printed but... and blown up like above his bed or something. He looks at that every night. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, but he's he's done that the whole time, and so I good for him. That's you know he's coming out and he's he's attacking, and he made a lot of those buckets last night, just kind of kind of like garbage buckets, you know. Some were offensive rebounds, some were broken plays or whatnot. And so he's I love seeing Donovan feed him. I guess it was four times. That was really that was great to see. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I love Rudy. You said it like I love Donovan too. I, I'm I'm happy they s- seem to be you know fine, um, which is all you really want as a as a fan. Um, I I think if there were no pandemic and let's say they had bad blood, whatever, and there was no pandemic, none of us would even know um, unless something big came out. Um, but it, it seems like it it seems like they're fine and they're playing just fine and they seem to be you know, more or less just on the same page. And that's what you want. Um, I, I, I've talked about before is like Rudy is, Rudy is such our guy and I never want him to be on a different team. And, you know, at the early pandemic, there was, Oh, we need to, we need to trade Rudy because Donovan doesn't want him. And what can we get for Rudy? And we're not going to give him super max. And I'm just like, man, you need to give that guy every dollar you can because he, he changes your team. He makes you elite um, the very, very best at something, and you need to stick with that and build around that. And I couldn't agree more. I, if there's some way that they can figure it out to get Donovan and Rudy, you know, on those big contracts, I know it'd be tough, but that's what I would want. But Rudy is like such a unique player, and Donovan is too, and so explosive and stuff. So, but there are fewer players like Rudy than there are like Donovan. I hate to say that, but that's kind of the way it is but i think he comports himself well he's a hard worker uh you know i i have a little soft spot in my heart for him i serve my mission in france so i speak really poor french so i i root for him there (laughs) (laughs) well i'd be remiss if i didn't mention the man who gave him the nickname the stifle tower (laughs) and i know like you mentioned it in your book too like early on either he didn't adopt it or the media didn't adopt it and there was all these other ones around and it was like well no this is the best obviously um and you were always on that like hey this is the best stop it with Godzilla stop it with the French rejection like those are just those are just people trying the stifled tower it's 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 sunk in that is his nickname so that's that's got to make you feel i mean that's that's awesome that's <laughs> that's what you want i think is you gave someone a nickname <laughs> uh thank you i appreciate that i know bill simmons called it the best nick best uh nba nickname of the decade or something Dang. like that so that was fun to, <laughs> that's to <good>. read so <laughs> it's uh you know and it was actually in orlando at the, his first summer league where i just saw him one game and he was just dominating and and it just popped in my mind, Stifle Tower, 
the Eiffel Tower and Stifle. I don't know. I have a weird mind that kind of work, works in weird, creative ways. <laughs> and so I wrote a story about about him playing and and just kind of dubbed him the Stifle Tower that game, and it kind of stuck. And I, I get the you know he he has the license plate of Gobzilla or Gobzilla or it just is like the GOB part works, but it where his name is Go Bear, so it's Gobzilla. It just seems clunky, but. I know the Jazz use Gobzilla a lot, so that's fine. They use Stifle Tower sometimes as well, but but guys like Babe Ruth and the other guys, they have you know multiple nicknames. And that's so true. Yeah, I'm just honored. That's true. <laughs> and it's fun to. I came up with the Swat Lake City too, so that was. I don't care what Matt Harfring says. I came up with it first, so he's he's gonna admit it someday. Well, what's crazy about Rudy is when you go look at multiple Defensive Player of the Year winners. There are two. There's only two who are not Hall of Famers, and they both should be. And one is Mark Eaton, and I I do not know how he is not in the Hall of Fame. I think that is the that is the most overlooked thing ever. And I want to start a campaign to get Mark Eaton in the Hall of Fame because, in my opinion, <laughs> I if, like if health persist, if, if he had good health, he would. He's the best shot blocker ever, and he just couldn't play. I mean, the dude's seven four, and his his body gave out on him. But obviously, you also have Ben Wallace in there, um, and I think Ben Wallace deserves. He's, I think, he's a Hall of Famer. He won the, he won the Defensive Player of the Year four, four times. But when you look at Rudy, he's already won it twice. It's possible he wins this year again. Who, who knows? I think, I think people love to just spread it around these days. Well, oh, he won it twice. I'm going to vote for Giannis this year, even though Giannis is a great defensive player. But Rudy, my whole point in this is Rudy is basically a Hall of Famer. He's right now like if he continues on this trend the dude's going to be a hall of famer and that's pretty wild when you think about where he started yeah definitely as some unknown guy from small town in france that's yeah no that's uh wow that's interesting with mark eaton and ben wallace i you could definitely make an argument for both of those guys i was looking at mark eaton averaged like five and a half yes one season yes 5.6 guys like if yeah, they don't even average three blocks, and they, that's considered terrific. You know, it's that'd be an interesting story. Uh, why, why there were so many more blocks back then, and maybe it was just you know the way the game was played. Probably because there's more outside shots now than there used to be. There's used he Mark certainly got more blocks off of the post up games. So, but yeah, that's he was man. If he would have been healthy in the early '90s, the Jazz. <clears throat> would have been right there especially when the rockets won yeah that was that was definitely a bummer but rudy i think if rudy does some stuff on the international scene with france over the next you know decade that could help as well so yeah because you remember it's not an nba hall of fame it's right. a basketball hall of fame so anything and everything you can do to bolster your your resume is going to definitely look well, good well he'll start this year by winning an nba title so he'll get that checked off and then, <laughs> and then he'll work on the gold medal after I, that there you go i think Giannis is going to win this year i i think because of his like talked about his versatility earlier he can guard a lot of different positions and i think i saw zach Lowe uh tweeted out that Giannis is uh opponents are only shooting 41 percent at the rim against Giannis, which is about what they shoot against rudy which is really impressive so be honest, getting it. I, I think Rudy is deserving any year of winning it. It's almost like Michael Jordan could have won M- MVP every single right. year, but sometimes they did like to spread it around and 
they're great players, and there's more than one great player. And so the only player that I like, Kawhi Leonard, you can always make an uh, an argument for him because he's such a good defensive player too. I don't I don't get the Anthony Davis defensive player of the year love. I think that's just kind of L.A. and and well, all that hype and hoopla. It's funny. I remember one time I was talking with Favors, Derek Favors, um, and I was talking to him about Serge Ibaka, who years ago was leading the league in blocks. And I asked him, oh, oh Serge Ibaka is a great defender. And, and Favors was like, no, he's a great shot blocker. And there's such a distinction there where I think Davis, because he's so long and he can switch, I, he's a great shot blocker, but defenders are the different story and i think that's where rudy fills in those gaps right because he actually is a great defender and a great shot blocker and i think i think davis just gets those that love because of like the stats oh he blocks shots like sometimes people want to make a case for Whiteside. well if you actually listen to nba players talk about us on Whiteside, he's actually like one of the worst defenders in the league he just happens to get a lot of you know blocks and i don't know I, I think that's where Davis gets his love, and you're right. It's L.A. and it's Davis, and oh, you know, we got to give him some awards. We'll we'll let him be a power forward when he wants to be. We'll let him be a center where he wants to be, as far as like you know, first team and all that stuff. And I I don't know. I I'm I'm with you on that. Like he's obviously a great player, obviously a great shot blocker, but defender. I'm not I'm not too sure about. Maybe we'll see in the playoffs. Yeah, they, I guess they have their chance now to prove it. So, but I, I guess they're doing the awards based on the end of the uh the season in march so be interesting but sometimes these are just you know you just don't know because they have so many guys who don't watch the players actually mm-hmm. it, i got to vote a couple of times and it was it was hard because you see your players and you see the western players a lot but you don't really get to see the eastern guys nearly as much and so sometimes you feel like you're just you know you're kind of flying blind but i you try to do as best as you can, but yeah. anyway, it's not, it's not an exact science. <laughs> right. Well, Jody, I've had you for a while. Um, love chatting with you. It just brings back good memories of, you know, the times we would chat in the media room waiting those, those long pre-draft workouts where we would all be there during the summer and we would have no oh, idea wow, when the are... draft workouts were going to end. <laughs> hey, show up at 12 and then and at three, we're finally interviewing him. But um, <laughs> and we were so desperate for for stories, kind of like we are now too. Like so desperate for anything to write about or yeah. to report about. Well, during those draft workouts, I was so obsessed with interviewing every player because I thought it would be so cool to have a draft workout video. If if I had a draft workout video with player X and then in ten years he's amazing, I I was like, oh, it'd be awesome if the Jazz had the video you know, if this guy working out for them. And so I was like, I was on a mission to like interview every single guy, even if they had no shot of getting drafted. And that's why I was always there is because I just had some weird belief that this video is going to be amazing one day when we could look back at it. <laughs> you you guys did get around. You guys did a lot of videos. You guys were right there. Uh, you guys were right there and just vaulted. The, the Jazz have one of the best social media teams now. And I think, you really put them in a position to succeed. You guys did a great job over the years. That always seemed like it would, if I didn't have the job that I was doing now, that that would have been a fun thing to do. But uh, yeah, Matt, you really did an excellent job with the jazz. So well done. I now Angie it. and Aaron, yeah, those guys are, are doing terrific. So yeah. And I like, I mean, I like to think, you know, 
think that in some small way, like we're still a part of that, you know, I think just like you were, you know, the beat writer for the D news, like you, you build something and you kind of take what was before and you try to build something on, you know, with the people who were there before and, um, and hopefully try to push it to a place, you know, Bill and I got told no a lot. Um, and I think that's okay. I th- it was just the birth of social media and no one really knew the value of it. But I joke around now that like us being told no is why they can be told yes now. Um, and, and somebody kind of yes, has to go through no, that door, be- right. And take the bullet, so to speak. I'm, I'm so happy that they get the access now and they get to do stories and they get to do things because yeah, Angie and Aaron are so great. I think it's fun just kind of seeing where it's gone. I, I agree with you. I, I felt the same way over the desert news. I was, I was done. I was ready to be done. I loved it. It was the favorite job I ever had. And maybe the least favorite job I ever had. Sometimes It was just insane, but uh, I was ready and I, I felt comfortable and, and good to pass it along to Eric Woodyard. And I think he did a terrific job for a couple of years. And now Sarah is, is carrying the, the torch and Sarah Todd and she's doing a really nice job for the Deseret News too. So yeah, so we're just we're just some bricklayers, you and I. <laughs> hey, that was my specialty when I played basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember I, you were you were good. Uh, height well, and skill, so. <laughs> I I don't know those. That was fun playing those media training camps. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm definitely one of the guys who was like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to train for this and I'm going to run sprints beforehand so I can get some wind. And... <laughs> uh, the the jazz are so bad during those Corbin years. <laughs> well, at least especially the 25 win year that might've been the best basketball played in, in that facility. When, when the media was out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I let you go, one of my traditions is just doing a tiny little bit of, you know, pop culture stuff. Um, during quarantine, I think a lot of us without sports, we're sitting around, we're watching movies, TV, Netflix, whatever it is. And I want to know, like, what's, what's been the best thing you've watched during quarantine, whether it's a movie or a TV show? Oh, that's a great question. So I think my favorite movie I just watched is that Eurovision. I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan, but was that good? Rachel McAdams and Will. Oh, it was so good. I loved it. It was quirky. It was weird. But it was fun. It was really, and it was, it was cute and kind of romantic, and you know, I thought it was, I thought it was great. So that's probably my favorite movie. I, I bought a new house just right before quarantine happened, and uh, and so I, I, as I was settling into that, and then the lockdown happened, I started watching those home improvement shows like one after another, and so the before and afters and the makeover shows and. Uh, and I was kind of hooked on those and I, and I got dished for the first time in a long time. And so all of a sudden I had access to some, some funky TV. So I started watching a wicked tuna where I don't know why I'm not even a fisherman, but I'm watching these guys catch these 900 fish, uh, tuna fish off the, uh, the Massachusetts coast that for some reason I got hooked onto that for a while, uh, alone. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a, huh. it's a reality survival show which was just insane where these people would go into the wilderness and see how long they could last on their own with with very few uh tools uh, and no food basically and so that was interesting but i think maybe the uh homeland was probably my favorite series that i've watched i i plowed through that series 
Homeland's uh, a good really one. Really quickly. I watched Homeland, too. Yeah, it's really, really good. And then um, I watched, oh, got to give the, I watched some documentaries. And so the Tiger King was thoroughly fascinating. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that or not. but And then I think maybe the favorite thing I've watched, sorry, you can see how much TV I've watched. Uh, Ken Burns did a, uh, a documentary series on the national parks which was just epic. And I, I felt like my dad, <laughs> I felt like my grandpa, but I was sitting on the couch and I just was watching that and just awe. And it was just so interesting to see the story of Yosemite and, and Yellowstone. And then eventually the Utah national parks and how really that, um, that sparked an environmental movement that, that uh, spread across the world and has protected these just these sanctuaries that you know that uh, i believe god created for us and and now it, they're protected and so uh, the u.s that was one of the the great gifts that the u.s gave to the world really was coming up with that idea and so that ken burns is a master storyteller and so that i highly recommend that where do you watch that at uh i saw it on amazon prime i okay. believe i'll have to check that out I'm sad to say now I have like oh the the Mandalorian was fun that's that's an awesome series so now I have I've Hulu <laughs> Amazon Prime you got Disney Plus Netflix it's just crazy how many different and my little kid I have a four and a half year old and he he will have Hulu and then he'll like unknowingly to me he'll like sign up for the free HBO Max add on or whatever like. We have like every possible thing and I have to keep telling him, I'm like, no, you can't watch that. Or no, we can't get that. And he'll just, he doesn't really get it. He's just like, what do you mean? Like it asked me if I wanted, I said, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had to get rid of Showtime and stars. They, they have some racy things that you don't want your kids to watch. <laughs> anyway, no, it's right now I'm enjoying, it's fun to, to get some sports back. I've become a huge lacrosse fan. And so there's a big lacrosse tournament going on and, in Harriman actually here in Utah really? with the best lacrosse player. So I'm, I'm tuned into all the lacrosse games I can possibly watch now. That's cool. And the NBA. It's, it'll be fun to have the NBA back. Yeah, so. it will. I'm looking forward. I'm to a little it. bit of a sports junkie. <laughs> Thank you again for taking the time. I, I, I reached out to you kind of early on before we ever did an episode. Cause I'm like, Oh, Jody would be great. And it's fun to, you know, find the time where we both have the time to talk and, um, this has been fun. This has been a good talk. Yeah, I appreciate it, Matt. You're you're one of the good guys. So I, it's fun to catch up, and thanks for thinking about having me on. I appreciate it. For sure. If you're not following Jody, uh, DJ Jazzy Jody on Twitter. Um, he's the man, like I mentioned at the start. He's he's an ambassador to the jazz. I love when anybody kind of has a, takes a shot at the jazz or a jazz player. Jody's right there to support and kind of <laughs> let us all know that we need to support our guys. So... Um, if you're not following him, I don't know what you're doing. If you're not a jazz fan. You need to go follow him and check out his book. Um, it's just a fun, a fun read. It's just fun to relive memories, and and you'll probably learn some stuff you didn't already know. So, Jody, this has been this has been fun, my friend. Thanks so much, Matt. It really has. I had a blast. Hey.